0: Today's show is brought to you by the Massage Centre. The Massage Centre specialises in deep tissue and sports massage. They are located in London near Turnham Green Tube Station. Call 0208 166 8958 to book your appointment. Wait a second, this isn't your grandma's cancer show.
1: Not Your Grandma's Cancer
0: Show. Hi, I'm Tatum Durock, and this is Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show. Today we are... Shh. We're talking about what it feels like when you can't talk. When it feels like you can't talk about your cancer, even though it seems like cancer is everywhere. It's on billboards, bus stops, TV, magazines. And yet some of us who have it feel the pressure to not speak about it. we're going to be joined today by some great guests who are sharing their experiences and we'll find out what they did when they were faced with that expectation. And we've got Anusha Hussain joining us later in the show to talk about both how her age and her community were factors which made her feel like she couldn't discuss her diagnosis. But right now, beside me in the studio, I have Jalila Oyetunji and Precious Jason. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. So it was actually talking with both of you that gave me the idea for doing this show and, and really why it's important because I was reading actually, there was a BBC article um, that said that 47% of people in the UK, when diagnosed with cancer, don't talk to their close friends about it, which is such a high statistic that a lot of people yeah. are quite shocked about. Yeah. But both of you have experienced feeling that you shouldn't talk about it or feeling some kind of backlash when you do. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So just starting with, with you, and um, tell me what was going on in your life when you were diagnosed?
2: Um, I had I was ready to I just been offered a job I was I was really excited and uh, I was about to go on summer holiday and so it was good times and things were looking good and I was just waiting for this test I found this lump and I thought oh maybe it's just another scare because um, when I was 19 20 years before I had a benign lump taken out so I thought oh maybe just another scare so let's just have it checked out. So I went to my GP and she said, well, um, I can feel something. It may not be serious, but I'd like you to go to the um, to the consultant in the hospital. So I was, and this was the first time I had ever been referred to a consultant in the past. It had been, oh, there's nothing wrong. Go home. So this could be serious. And um, so I went and um, I, I went there, got a uh, um uh, a mammogram, and I had a, a, a sonogram, and I had a biopsy, I had some tissue taken out. So I was waiting for this result, if I could go on holiday. And then it was cancer. Wow. And so where was your holiday going to be? Uh, I was going to be in Amsterdam <laughs> and, and Antwerp. <laughs> Okay. So, um, did you ever get to go? Yes, I did. Yeah. So my <laughs> doctor told me, um, yes, it's cancer, and um, we have to do some more tests. Because I asked, I said, okay, now what? What do we do? How do we move forward? She said, well, we need to do some more tests to see if it had spread before they can determine what kind of treatment to offer me. So I said, okay, but can it wait? You know, I really want to go on holiday. <laughs> I have a holiday plan, and I don't want, I don't want to start this process. Yet I want to go on holiday, have fun with my family, and then come back and face this squarely. So, so yeah, sure, you can take some time off. There. There's no hurry. Um, you can go. So I left for ten days, and it was good. Now I look back, and I think I must have been mad to do
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there is a little bit of madness that sets in yeah. when you hear that news. Yeah. And, you know, it, it takes a while for it to really to sink in. And mm-hmm. so, um, when was the first time that you? felt like you second guessed whether you should tell somebody
2: it was almost immediately um I I called um family members I won't say who but I called family members and I was really ready to let people know and Mm -hmm. at least my close family I'm not talking about strangers or colleagues or people I hadn't seen in 20 years these were family members and Two of them said, "Oh, don't tell anybody. Shh, mm. shh, don't let anybody know. Don't say anything." And these were older family members that mm. I respected and I valued their opinion, and they it kind of shut me down. Did it surprise you? not really Okay. not really because as a Nigerian growing up in Nigeria um, it wasn't something discussed a lot mm. you didn't really see people who would tell you oh I had a cancer diagnosis I'm okay now or something you know it wasn't something that was out there in the open you only heard about cancer when people had died right? Mm. and even then you were lucky if they told you it was cancer you know, so I was I wasn't too surprised, but I was still taken aback because yes. for me, I really wanted the people around me to know so they could support me. And if two older members of my family were telling me not to say anything, mm. it kind of shut me up in a way that I I didn't see happening originally. So,
0: so I kind of held back. I mean. And I can see you nodding, Precious. (laughs) So was that a similar... And how old were you, Precious, when you were diagnosed? Um, I was 33. 33. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And was that a similar thing for you, that it was almost immediate? Um,
1: Well, I... I had been sick for a while so I had lumps um, all over, my spleen was enlarged but at the time I didn't know that was my spleen Um, and I had high fever so I, I did go in to see my GP a few times and he just said I was really stressed. And uh, I woke up one morning, um, rushed out to work, and I I passed out, glamorously, (laughs) at Hampstead tube station. And uh, next thing I know, I was in an ambulance, and next thing I know, I was told I had cancer. Um, So it was um, quite a shock to to my system as well.
0: And what what type of cancer?
1: I had chronic myeloid leukemia. Apparently, it's the best kind of cancer to have. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know who comes up with these things. I was about to
0: say. <laughs> I, said, no, I, I don't. I don't think what? there's some kind of uh, grading hierarchy. of I them. know I the mean... doctor
1: said no. You have CML. It's you it should be you should be happy. It's a good cancer. It's a good cancer. So you're one of the lucky ones. I, thought, I don't feel very lucky right now.
0: Because you've had really intensive treatment. <laughs> I
1: have. I have. I've had uh, chemo, um, to lots. I've had radi- um, radiotherapy, and I had a stem cell transplant as well. So it's been pretty hard call.
0: Yeah mm-hmm. And how did your family and friends respond? Um, well when I um when I um,
1: fainted and and got resuscitated, um, I did call my brother um, on on the way to to the hospital. and thankfully, you know he came to hospital with his wife. And she was actually the one who found out my diagnosis before the doctors broke the news to me, and she's a pediatrician. Um, so I had, I had both of them at the time. Um, but the main thing was when I, when I was given the news by, by one of the um, doctors from the hospital, we, we sort of worked out who to tell and, <laughs> and in, what, in what order. Um, So we made a very short list and I I think I got to person number two and the first thing was, oh, don't say anything. Don't tell people because it's not a good thing to, (laughs) it's not a good thing to say. So yeah, I got shut down pretty early as well.
0: Did you feel that in hearing that, that they were trying to care about you in terms of, or was it that? like what do you think were were their intentions with with saying that that it would be easier for you if people didn't know or it would be easier for other people not to hear about it um,
1: Both. <laughs> i I think being African, being nigerian uh I was also um religious. So something like cancer, it's a big no-no. It's, you know, you've failed, you've done something wrong, you've sinned against God, uh, it's a stigma the family doesn't need, you know, all sorts of things. We, we're a funny lot. <laughs> so would you say that shame is? <laughs> yeah, there's a big shame thing. Don't say anything because it's, it's like a last mechanism. We will come across as weak um, simply because one person is going through this cancer experience.
0: And how about your
1: friends? I had a uh, mixed bag. Um, so I, I I did make the list and I I had some you know, long-term friends, you know, with I, I marked stars next to their names because they were guaranteed to support me. <sighs> Ten, out they weren't very good at the support thing. Um, so that was very hard. Um, telling them, expecting their support and not getting it was, was quite tough. Um, the ones I didn't think would actually support me turned out to be wonderful. Um, so I've, really? I've made a lot of transitions in the last few years. I've had to drop a few people and pick up some more. Um, yeah, been scared doing it, but I'm, I'm doing it.
0: Yeah, and Jalila, how how did your friends react? Um,
2: they were supportive. Well, I told, I had, I told family and a few friends at the beginning,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and when I got better, I think when chemo was over, when I felt stronger, I told more people. Okay. But during chemo, when I had my mastectomy, I just, I um, I didn't, I didn't want so many people to know. I only wanted my family, people who saw me, and also because I live in England, and most of my family and friends are all over the place: uh, America, Nigeria, mm-hmm. Dubai all over the world and explaining to people over the phone that, yes, I've had a cancer diagnosis, but I'm okay. I'm fine. (laughs) I'm going through treatment. I mean, it just doesn't sound right. And so for me, I wanted to be at a place where I could actually feel right. Chemo was over. I was feeling stronger. Mm -hmm. And I had the possibility of seeing them. I could travel and for them to see me and say, oh, okay, you are fine. You know, and um, so I only told a few people at the beginning, and then once chemo was over, once I felt stronger, when I was able to travel, then I told more people, and you could tell in my voice that I was stronger. But with chemo, you feel like rubbish at the beginning, mm. and you know, so it was just up and down, and it's not really. There's not much fun telling somebody, yeah, uh, I have a cancer diagnosis, but I'm okay, but you sound like (laughs) rubbish on the phone. So so for me, I think if my family had been here in England where they could see me, if Mm -hmm. I had grown up here in England and had my support here, it would have been easier. But my family here in England, they knew all about it from the get-go. I told them they were here for me and, you know, they'd come see me and all that. So, Mm. yeah. That's how I dealt with it, and I think for my family, telling me not to tell people, it, I think it was a, it was both. They were both trying to protect me because they understood the, um, the the cultural dynamics of cancer mm. in mm. Nigeria. It's mm-hmm. not something that. Fine, cancer is not to be celebrated, but it's also not something to be stigmatized for. But mm. culturally, we, we don't have the kind of support that you you can get here right now in England, sure. for instance. I know it's not always been this way in England, but at least right now, I found it easier telling people in England, most of them strangers that, that I was going through chemo, mm. than telling people in Nigeria, even telling Nigerians who live here. It was harder, and that's because of the cultural change, the yeah. the difference. And so I think my family was trying to protect me from that and also to protect um, um, maybe the people I would tell, too, mm. because it's a hard thing. I feel like when I tell somebody about my diagnosis and treatment that I'm giving them a burden, that before I I said anything. Life was good. I'm fine. They're fine. But once I say, yes, I, I, I had a breast cancer diagnosis. I've done this. I've done that. All of a sudden, the dynamics have changed. It's oh, something really horrible has happened to her. How can I support? It's just it's different. So I think when I tell people, I feel like I'm giving them it's a burden for them to carry and I don't know how they'll react to it and how I may have to support them. Sometimes I tell people and I'm the one saying, oh, it's okay, don't cry. And Mm -hmm. I'm like,
0: "Um, (laughs) you know. It's like you have to react to their reaction and also it comes up all of their belief systems and what they think about it then gets projected on you. Mm -hmm. And often it's at a time, like you said, I mean, it's it's understandable that during chemotherapy is not really the time that you have the capacity to hold everybody else's Mm. stuff. Yes. so it I can see why like there's almost like this kind of protection mm-hmm. that can come in but having said that when you did feel a little bit stronger mm-hmm. and you did start to tell people yes how did that feel for you
2: it was liberating actually mm. I went to a uh, a mosque in East London. Uh, the mosque is uh, most of the worshippers, they are Nigerians. And so um, this was the first time I had publicly outed myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, that was very hard. I It, it took a, a lot to write my little speech and I spoke with other um, um, cancer survivors around me. Some of them were Nigerians and asked them their opinions. What would they say? What would they, you know, just to give, to kind of give a... a a well-rounded view and um, so that day I, I I went up there I sat down and I, I was introduced and I spoke about my experience and uh, I was amazed at the response people were very supportive people came up to me later and said oh this is the first time I've heard somebody actually speak about it mm. openly mm. and not talk about somebody else but talk about themselves Themself. that mm-hmm. this happened to me mm. I and even while I was there at one point I was having a hot uh, hot flashes and so I was just busy <laughs> In myself, <laughs> finding myself furiously, and so the mother is like, "Oh, is it hot? We can put on a fan." I'm like, "No, no, no, no! It's not hot. I'm having it's a hot flash. It's because of chemotherapy. <laughs> this is part of the side effect." So I use that as a teaching moment too, to yeah. say, "This, you know, I'm recovering, but this is still in my system, and this is one of the things I go through." So, um, but it was amazing, and I was very, um, I left there feeling um, much better about being able to to offer to tell people that kind of thing and since then people have been in touch with me people have connected me to other people mm. and I've and I've been very happy to do so because I wish that I had had that when I was diagnosed yeah so that's what I I tried to help with what I couldn't um, access at that point culturally I mean I mean there were mm. lots of charities and people were really nice to me but I didn't have that cultural connection that would have been really good Mm. that's support Mm. and that's what i try to offer now when people ask
0: me to wonderful so i'm going to ask you ladies to Mm -hmm. stay with us because we're going to chat some more a bit later in the show um but next up we are talking with anushay hussein um who has a really interesting um story she was diagnosed at just 23 and um she's going to be joining us in just a moment Shay, welcome to the show. Hi, Tatum. Thanks. Hi. So, yes, so, yeah, so you, were, you were 23 years old when you were diagnosed and you were living in Luxembourg.
3: Yeah, very strange place.
0: <laughs> Did you grow up there? Yeah,
3: but there's, you know, the whole population is 500,000 people. Um, so it's, it's a really... Um,
0: Every time you go shopping, you're going to meet people. You know, for
3: instance, it's a, <laughs> it's a really small place.
0: And how how do you feel that that because it was small, did you get to meet anyone your own age?
3: Um, it, I mean, generally, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm oh, no, sorry, but that was diagnosed
0: with cancer. <laughs> That's what I you meant. Know, so,
3: um, given it's a small place, um, when I got my diagnosis, um. I knew one person who'd been diagnosed at 19, but that was sort of five, six years before me. And um, when I got my diagnosis, I'd been the second youngest at the time with that particular diagnosis ever in Luxembourg. Ever? Ever. And the last one was when I was about 10 years old. So I I know her. I actually know her because she's my friend's sister, Um, funnily enough, but uh, it was ever. And can you tell uh, me
0: a little about your diagnosis? Uh,
3: It was a bit of a funky one. We found a lump, um, had a stomach scan. They caught my boob in the scan and found a lump in my boob at the same time. Um, I got told by my surgeon at the time who didn't want to operate that it looked benign, so we didn't do anything about it. Um, Six months later, after I'd come back from a three-week holiday, it had tripled in size. Um, to six centimeters so we took it out and I got a call a week later saying it was benign okay yay everything's fine two weeks later I'm home Um, I've been at uni that morning and I get a call from the secretary at the hospital saying can you come in on Saturday morning please the doctor would like to see you I go fine he must need to go on holiday or something and he's moved all his appointments around um with hindsight (laughs) I went to the hospital on my own because I wasn't expecting. I, I wasn't expecting any problems. Um, my mum was abroad. Um, it was a lovely summer's day. I went in and realised I was the only person in the hospital, so they'd open the hospital just for me that day. Um, and she tells me I have abnormal cells. He didn't actually use the word cancer. Um, and I just went that means cancer. He's like, yeah, abnormal cells. I'm like, no, you have to say the word cancer. <laughs> um, and so he said, yeah, it's cancer. Um, that was my diagnosis. Seven days later, I was being operated again. And then they were lining up other surgeries and chemo, radio, and, you know, the, the whole lot, really.
0: How many surgeries did you have in total? Um, so
3: two lumpectomies. Um, I did an uh, ovary conservation in Brussels, so I had to change countries to do that one because um, Luxembourg didn't have these and uh, and also I had a port inserted for the chemo. So four surgeries in total in the space of about six weeks.
0: That is a lot. And and did you go to a support group when you were in Luxembourg?
3: Um, well, I got given a leaflet for a support group um, specifically for breast cancer. And I thought, ooh, this will be interesting. Um I knew my art teacher from when I was in high school was in that group because she was suffering from breast cancer at the time. Um, and I went and I, I, I went there a few times. So the thing is, I was the youngest person there by 30 years, um, which was a slight issue. So I couldn't really relate to anybody. And then every time I complained about, I don't know, sores in my mouth from the chemo or hot flushes or being unable to handle a smell or ah, oh, just feeling knackered or bone pain, but God knows what else. They go, well, you're young, you'll be able to handle it. You know, you don't have a right to complain. So I sort of just stopped complaining and stopped going to the support group.
0: Yeah, I mean, that—that that is a really powerful way of being shut down, being told that you can't talk about it. and
3: Or, or just that you're young, so you should be able to
0: cope with it. Right, and I mean, and actually, you know, I mean, it's it, it's that's not what you should be dealing with at that point in your life. And you have so much longer to be dealing with the after effects than when someone is that much older. And was it just the other people in the group that were doing that? Or did you find that reflected in the medical staff's attitude as well?
3: Um, So it was really interesting because the way my diagnosis happened was that the surgery was supposedly curative. So The chemo, the radio, and the the hormone therapy I'm on now are all actually just there to help me prevent a remission rather than actually cure me. Um, So as such, the doctors and the medical staff were treating it like that. So on the day I finished my last chemo, the nurse said, well, that's it. You can look at the last 18 weeks as if it was a blip in your story and carry on as if nothing happened. (laughs) And I was just like, I've just been through 18 weeks of hell. I've now got 20 days of radiotherapy. I start my my exams at uni the day after my radiotherapy ends like i ended on the 19th of jan and my exams at uni started on the 20th um you're telling me everything is fine (laughs) my brain doesn't work (laughs) nothing works i mean it it was just it it felt so wrong to hear that but at the time i believed it
0: right and 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 were you able to talk to someone during this time um so i had my parents and my
3: sort of my brother and my sister and all at the time, um, but at the same time you sort of you don't they see you going through everything and you don't want to worry them anymore about what's going on in your head, so they see the physical side of things and I'm sure they see the psychological side of things, but I didn't want to burden them with any more than what I felt to be a burden already. Um, the hospital gave me a therapist at the time because um, I was having psychosomatic puking. Um, which is really fun. Um, uh, nurses were taking straws. Short of straw got me when I had to do chemo. Um, so yeah, I got a therapist at the time, but that dropped off the minute I finished chemo. Um, and I haven't seen her since. Um, and that's it. Uh, in terms of medical support, that was it. Um, I did contact uh, about four friends um, that I've known for 20 years um, and they're still with me today. So they've seen me go through the process. They've seen me today, um, and they, they stuck with it. I mean, the problem is that all my friends were living abroad at the time because we were all studying, so um, there was only sporadic contact with them. A lot of emails, which is lovely, but sporadic contact.
0: And how was it within your, your social circle and, like, your wider community?
3: Yeah, so they have no idea. They still don't. Um, because I wear a headscarf, nobody noticed that my hair had fallen off. Um, I used to do makeup for my eyelashes and my eyebrows. Um, people had seen, obviously, I looked horrible, but nobody asked. Um, and we never told anybody in the community in Luxembourg. Um, and in fact, not even in my wider family, not even in the UK. It's, it's Nobody knows. Um,
0: and what were some of the reasons behind that
3: um so a couple of reasons one was as I said my 19 year old friend at the time had gone through cancer and I saw how how much pressure she was under from the community she was just getting a load of awkward questions she was getting really frustrated and she just didn't need to deal with that on top of chemo and her treatment and and her cancer was very much so advanced at the time so um she was dealing with a lot Um, uh, in terms of survival, let alone dealing with the pressures of the community. So I saw what she went through, and I just went, I don't want to go through that. I don't need to handle the community's expectations or need to answer the community's questions now while dealing with chemo. The other thing is I was born missing one arm, so the community already sees me as somebody with a disability and overcoming a disability. So another health issue on top, you know, just, you know, I, I did, really didn't want their pity either, because that's what I would have gotten.
0: Is that and how you been, felt? Oh, poor her. Right, that you would have been sort of seen as having an additional disability. Is that how?
3: Yeah, and then, and then, like Precious, Precious said, you know, there's the religious factor as well. Culturally, you get something bad happening to you. You must have done something bad in the past or... Somebody, you know, God's trying to bring you to the right path or it's an awakening or, you know, somebody somewhere has, you know, broken a mirror. You never know. But it's that type of stuff. Um, and, you know, I really didn't need the religious judgment coming down from people. Um, it, you know, it, we were paranoid enough at home, you know, why did the cancer happen? Because there were no factors in my case, um, not genetics and nothing else. So you know I, I didn't really want people sort of going oh gosh something religious religiously wrong must have happened yeah. in the process i just yeah. didn't need that judgment
0: no no and it, i mean it, that is something that i don't think people realize sometimes that they're doing it i mean sometimes it's really blatant but you know certainly having had the experience of someone looking at you and go you know they still you know squint their eyes and they're like but what did you do mm.
3: yeah. it's meant to be there uh, must be something good in this right the
0: gift the gift yes, the
1: gift a of cancer.
0: Gift. yes. um and Anush- it's a gift that keeps on giving <laughs> it certainly does and um yeah if anyone can find the gift exchange receipts um i'm totally bringing that shit back yeah um thank you so much for um uh, chatting with us, please stay with us because I'd actually love to um, chat some more with all of you to find out um, a bit more about what's going on in your lives now and and um, some of the ways that you've you've overcome. Like really. Huge pressures. So, Anushay, stay with us because we're going to be back in the third part of the show with all of us chatting some more about, um, yeah, where all of you are, are going now and and where you are in in terms of um, dealing with other people's expectations. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> so um, we've got Anoushe on the line. We've got Julia and Precious in the studio. And um, so, um, Anoushe, in terms of, you mentioned that a lot of people don't know. Is that something that's changing for you now?
3: Um, yeah, so I'm at, um, next month will be my five years since diagnosis. So um, I've had time for my body to adapt, for myself to adapt. I've also moved to London. Um, I'm living on my own now. And when I moved, I got in contact with Shine because I sort of realized, ooh, cancer is still part of my life, but I don't actually have anybody new, really. Um, And that's when I realized, actually, um, I want to talk about it. Um, This doesn't need to be... A secret anymore, and I can handle the dodgy questions or the dodgy judgments that might turn up. Um, Two months ago, I came out at the office. So my line manager and some colleagues knew already that I'd had cancer because obviously I disappeared for hospital appointments and things like that. So they need to know in terms of my working arrangements. But um, now 1,500 people at the office know, um, which was funky, uh, to say the least. Um, It actually made the office space much more enjoyable. And people are now coming to me uh, when they need to go find Shine, for instance, which is
0: cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So you feel that uh, actually that experience of opening up to your colleagues has meant that you've been able to help other people?
3: Yeah, I can help other people. And then the other thing is I'm five years down the line. I mean, uh, everybody's, I mean, trip through cancer is is different and everybody will have a different um, sort of, time where they'll be at five years hopefully they'll be at five years ten years whatever but they can look at me and they can say oh my gosh she has a visible disability she's had to deal with chronic health issues she's managing with a full-time job they can see me and they can say actually Mm. you know sometimes it does turn out okay um you know and that they can see me and they can see that actually i'm now using cancer as something that i'm gaining strength from rather than seeing as yeah, something absolutely horrible. But I, I'm using the server lining like mad, and and I mean, next year I'll be I'll be launching my own website in which I'll be coming out publicly that I had cancer. Um, I let a couple of people in my community know recently, and the reaction's been pretty amazing. That's like brilliant, amazing. I mean, uh, a, a friend of mine who. We've been reasonably close, but not close enough to disclose this type of stuff. I let her know spontaneously three months ago. I don't know what came over me Um, (laughs) because I I, I never planned to tell her. And then all of a sudden, you know what? It's almost every two days, you know, a phone call, exchanging health things, talking about stuff. She's helping me beta test my website now. It's it's amazing. Uh, I never expected her to, to, to come out and support me like this.
0: Oh, I'm so so happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a really exciting time for you and a, a really big shift. And and so, was that experience of um, uh, meeting everyone at Shine did that did that help you on that on that trajectory?
3: Yeah, it made me realise. As I said, when I moved to London, um, I was living with family to start with, and uh, I'd, I'd moved to London through some sort of turbulent time, so I was really just focused on. Getting through my new job and and just focusing on settling in a new country, frankly, um, that cancer wasn't really, cancer was back to just being talked about at the GP's office and the various medical profession, professionals I needed to talk about. And then I realized actually, you've got the medical side of cancer, fine, but you've also got the sort of the emotional impact mm. and the, 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 the psychological impact. And meeting people at Shine in particular, I got to meet other people who. Who just get it? I mean, we haven't had the same cancer, fair enough, and we haven't had the same experiences in life, okay. But we all get it, yeah. Um, and, and that has been a godsend in the last two and a half years to have found Shine, because at least I know on a day where I'm completely freaking out and I have nobody else to talk to, I can go on the forum and freak out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant, and I can I can see Precious nodding beside me. Was was Shine? a turning point for you as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the guys who make up SHINE are, are just the best people in the world. Um, we don't choose, we, we don't choose cancer, but it, it's, I think SHINE has just given me that community, that tribe of just really, really amazing, courageous people. And I am so glad um, I found them and I'm so proud to be a Shiny.
0: Aww. And and you also have um, changed your career now. So mm-hmm. you are a businesswoman running a yeah. line of skincare <laughs> products for um, spe- specifically designed for cancer patients. Yes. And how's that experience been for you to use yours in order to reach out to others? Um, well, I, I'm thankful
1: for it because I had to come out. I had to tell people I had cancer when I started the business. Um, it, it has been fantastic because I've, I've been able to hide behind the business and shout about cancer. Um, it's been a great experience. Uh, I've also been able to do something wonderful. I think the big thing for me when I was working as a lawyer was to do something meaningful with my life I don't feel I was doing anything meaningful in a law firm and so with this one um you know the products are helping people feel they can feel better about themselves which is wonderful so if one product can give someone confidence to face the world again. I'm I'm a happy bunny.
0: Yes, confidence and uh, and lovely soft skin. Yeah, <laughs> that really helps. Yeah. And um and your um products are under the name Etienne. Yep, yeah, Etienne. Did I Let's pronounce that right? Yes,
1: you got it okay. right.
0: <laughs> oh, wonderful! And Jalila, you have so many things in the works, yeah, don't amazing. you? So you have a, an amazing and and. I mean, talk about a fashionista. <laughs> You're a blog. All those outfits so are just cool. fabulous. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, um, I love
2: wearing Ankara. It's an African prince and so we call it Ankara in Nigeria. And so I've always loved wearing it. And um, this year, I just thought I wanted to do something light, something different. Um, since I was diagnosed with... Um, Breast cancer. I've lost seven people to to cancer. Um, some of them I knew before diagnosis. Some of them I've known for almost twenty years. Others I met after I was diagnosed. But last year was really heavy because uh, I lost a total of five people. And so this year, at the beginning of the year, I just thought I wanted to do something, uh, something that would, I could, I would remember cancer, but I would also have a smile on my face too because i was doing something I enjoyed. And so I love wearing Ankara African prints. And so I thought, okay, how about if I wear an African print (laughs) every day of this year? 366 different um, clothes. And I thought, okay, but I don't have that many. I don't have that many. (laughs) Where are you getting them from? I don't have that many. So I thought, okay, well, I have to look for supporters, people who will support me, people who maybe um, make these clothing or sell them or the fabric or something. So I started with my own what I had in my closet. And then I, I approached people here in London. I sent emails. I made phone calls. I went to their studios. I went to their shops. And I go there and I've had tremendous support. I've been very fortunate. And also while doing this, I'm asking people to donate to Macmillan Cancer Support mm-hmm. and Cancer Research UK. I have just given page links on my blog so people can go there and just make a donation. And um, so every day I wear a different outfit and I post it up. and um, it's been it's 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 wonderful it's good and i was also waiting for i'm hoping by the end of Uh, by September or so I'll be done with all my surgeries and everything in terms of reconstruction and all and uh, by then I hope to get back to work again full time Uh, my background is in IT Uh, I have a a computer programmer and I have an MBA so I've done a lot of work around business and IT and I'm hoping to go back to that but in the meantime at the moment anyway throughout this year every day of this year I'll have a different picture of myself (laughs) with an African print and I hope people will donate and just generate funds for these two charities which mean a lot to me because I have seen them I've seen the work that they do Mm. I consider the fact that the drugs and the care that I receive today is because many people in the past mm-hmm. gave their tissue, mm-hmm. gave their time mm-hmm. to research, and so we have better drugs today than they did. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I've had the opportunity, I sign up for um, surveys or whatever it mm-hmm. is. If they want to use my tissue, I'm like, yes, take my tissue, <laughs> you go use it for whatever tests you mm-hmm. want. Because I believe only by doing that can people come in in the future get better Absolutely. care, the same way I've benefited from that. So.
0: I've got a question for all of you. So if there's somebody that's listening to this podcast right now and perhaps they're feeling isolated, mm-hmm. they're feeling like they can't, um, what, what advice would you, would you give them? If, they, if they're scared of receiving a backlash, they're scared of maybe not being able to um, handle that.
2: Hmm, that's a tough one.
0: Um, I would
2: say if they can find, even if it's just one person... Mm if they can find one person that they can open themselves to start from that one person Mm. and it's okay for them to feel lonely whatever they're feeling it's okay they don't need to justify it to Mm. anybody it's okay and that they should just go with how they're feeling whatever's going on they Mm. should not be too hard on themselves that's what i think in many that's what i did to myself Mm -hmm. i was very hard on myself i had high expectations of myself but it's okay. Just feel whatever you feel. See if you can find just one person to start off with. Mm. And as you feel better, as you feel um, uh, more open to sharing, then go for it. But it's whatever you're feeling. It's okay. Mm.
0: Uh, Anisha, would you have any tips to share? I say,
3: um, if you're nervous about telling wider, wider community or even wider family, and, and you're just you're nervous about their reaction and possibly having to hold their reaction and react to them rather than, you know, just taking care of yourself in a time that you might be going through turbulence, I say find a support group. Um, I, I, you know, if I'd known about Shine five years ago, I would have gone to Shine first. Yeah. Um, found that safe support group there because, as I said, the people get it. Um, you can be completely authentic to who you are and how you feel and you know you won't get judged for it. In fact, you'll probably be told, take it easy, um, which is the nice thing. <laughs> um and then as you build up your strength and as you feel ready to take on talking to others being frank about what's happened to your life and bringing others into that well you know you'll have the strength and you already have built up that support
1: through shine just in case you need them
0: yeah yeah and precious honey
1: uh, my advice would be um, as for a therapist. Um, I think therapists are wonderful people. They're professionally trained to, to listen to you and, and support you. Um, sometimes family members will not always know the best way to, to react to you sometimes. Um, and sometimes they project their own fears on you. So find a good therapist, someone who is neutral, someone who doesn't really know much about you and someone you feel you can trust. Um, because it's, it, it will be a very intensive relationship, so you need to be able to trust them 100% and enough to crack when you do crack. Um, don't feel under pressure to be a strong one. Um, when I was first diagnosed, I was I was very stronger I, I had a lot of positive um, statements <laughs> up until when I had my first chemo. I think I cracked after that. And I found out I had post-traumatic stress Um, almost 18 months into treatment. Um, But with the support of a good therapist, because I didn't know I was having PTSD, um, but it took going to see a therapist having a big meltdown um, before I could get the help I needed. And that was when I realized my feelings were valid. It was okay for me to have a meltdown. It was okay for me to crack because of what I'd been through. Um, so you need to be with someone who understands this and someone who is trying to guide you through the process. Um, find your tribe as well. It's, it's good to you know, have a good support system because you need people who've been there. You need people who... Have had their they've had their own meltdowns so you need to hang with them as well and and just take it one day at a time and I'm sending love to you
0: oh, thank you <laughs> thank you all of you I mean I think what's what's so fascinating is all of you have had like you know really great pressures and at times been really isolated Mm. and had to hold and had to experience things like PTSD. And so, you know, if you are out there at the the beginning of this journey, Mm. sometimes hearing about people that also then go on to do amazing things can kind of seem a bit um, intimidating. But that's the thing is to go in your own space. Mm. Like you only get there, you know, it's one little one step at a time Mm. so you know even if you are feeling really isolated really depressed have PTSD it doesn't mean that you know at some point in the future after getting the support after getting the care um, that you need that you know things may change in the road ahead so mm-hmm. thank you so much for all of you for sharing your stories with thank us. You for having us and i hope um, to have you back on the show at some point in the future and we'll be chatting about something else i did notice that we were talking about not talking yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a lot to say on yeah, that subject <laughs> <Yes.
1: Yeah. laughs>
0: So we couldn't do this show alone. So our music um, was done by Lauren Costi. Our logo design by Lizzie Doe. We record at radio facilities. And the show is produced by Shine Cancer Support. And today's show sponsors are the Massage Centre. Till next time. See you later.